What the world needs now is positivity. Connecting, relating, and being human together is where it's at. Hi there, honey German, and I know life happens, but trust, you got this. And State Farm got us. It feels good knowing that State Farm agents are there to help you choose the right coverage with great support 24-7. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Hi, everyone. I'm Wilmer Valderrama. And I'm MR Raquel. Welcome back to Essential Voices. This week, we'll hear another story from one of our essential workers. As always, we'll follow this conversation with a roundtable discussion between thought leaders who share our essential workers' commitment to service and care. Today, we're going to hear from Dr. Carolyn Kavner, who's a school guidance counselor and therapist in Los Angeles. Dr. Kavner works every day to support her students and has been helping them grapple with the emotional uncertainty of the pandemic. After we hear from Dr. Kavner, we'll be in conversation with the California Surgeon General, Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris, and with Adriana Alejandre, a therapist and the founder of the Latinx Therapy Podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts. Dr. Burke-Harris took office in 2019, and she's actually the first Surgeon General in California. Dr. Burke-Harris has a background as a family physician specializing in childhood trauma, and she'll tell us all about ACEs, or adverse childhood experiences, and her plan to screen for them and reduce toxic stress by half in a generation. Meanwhile, Adriana is a passionate advocate for making mental health care accessible for all and destigmatizing mental health care, specifically in the Latinx community, through her practice and podcast. Adriana will speak to us about how she's helped her clients and other mental health practitioners of color cope with the trauma of the past year and a half, and also shares with us her vision for a brighter future where mental health care is accessible for everyone. But first, Wilmer's conversation with school guidance counselor and therapist, Dr. Carolyn Kavner. I can't wait. Dr. Kavner's story starts right now. Dr. Kavner, thank you so much for being here with me and having this conversation. Um, Going back a little bit to when you first started, um, can you tell me about your first day on the job and what got you involved? Like what made you passionate over this? Well, my story is I went to college to become a journalist, to work in public relations. I had zero intention of going into becoming a therapist. I didn't really know anything about the career. Um, My sister had a really rough time in high school, uh, middle school and high school. And just through that experience, got to see the power of therapy. And I got to see how impactful mental health professionals can be to people struggling And I just felt the need to help and to be there for others. And that's what drew me to the career. I went into school counseling thinking I would be a therapist. And my first day, I was sat down with a bunch of papers and my assistant principal said, okay, 
we need to schedule all these students for their classes for the upcoming school year. And we're really behind. So get going. Well, we didn't really have training and scheduling. So I just kind of had to flounder and figure it out. And that was my first day. I think I thought, what did I get myself into? But um, but I figured out the scheduling part and it's all worked out. <laughs> Maybe walk us through a little bit. Of what are some of the cases? What are some of the things or some of the conversations that you're called on to have? Can you tell me a little bit about how kind of like what it was a day in life and your, you know, what you were called on to do and then a pandemic gets introduced and how did it change? I'll never forget the week leading up to the pandemic. Our principal said, I want all teachers to get ready and create lesson plans and be ready to start teaching on Zoom. And we're like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, okay. How do we do this? What do we do? And we had no idea what we were going into. And I think my pre-pandemic job and my pandemic job looked very similar in many ways outside of the fact that the problems were amplified. There were more students who were depressed. There were more students who were anxious. There were more students who were, were suicidal. There was more homelessness, more job loss. We had, I mean, the first weekend of us being off, I had two students who lost their dad and just the grief, the loss that came about with the pandemic, that all existed prior, but it increased. So it was responding and supporting and being there and being there however I could, whether it was by phone, whether it was by Zoom, whether it was messaging my students and emailing my students and even text messaging my students. And it was challenging. I think that most challenging part of it, two parts. One, I didn't know if I was reaching everybody. And I guess you never really know that. But it just felt like there was much more of a disconnect, especially as everything went on, where I knew kids had to be struggling and I hated that I couldn't reach them or that I wasn't necessarily aware as to what everybody was going through. And so that that was tough. And the other tough part was reaching them. I would hear like, this kid hasn't been in school for weeks. We haven't heard from this student. Can you go find them? And I felt like a detective a lot, you know, figuring out like, okay, I've got these phone numbers and emergency contacts and nobody's answering. And I'm messaging this kid and I can't go to his or her home because it's a pandemic. And I felt like I was wrangled a lot to try to wrangle the students and, and really hunt them down, which I really grew an appreciation for being on campus and realized how much that helped to be able to connect to the kids and to get a hold. What do you think was some of those reoccurring conversations you were having with the kids and families? You know, what were some of the things they were struggling with the most? Maybe emotionally, maybe internally, you know, but what were some of those turmoils and what was affecting them? The conversation I had most frequently was just lack of motivation, feeling isolated, lacking drive to why continue? Why do I need to do this school stuff? My parents lost their job or I lost my parent or, you know, I'm babysitting my siblings. I'm not even home. I'm working to try to make ends meet. And why is school important at that point? 
And how do you ration with that thinking? And how do you ration with that thought? I mean, it seems really challenging. I can't even imagine, right? Being a parent, I'm a new parent now. I have a four-month-old and I can't even imagine, you know, how do you have a logical conversation when everything they knew and they had programmed to have as a pattern, as a schedule, you know, safety and and all of that is kind of thrown out the window. You know, how do you answer those questions? Like, or how do you even advise? Yeah. Well, first of all, congratulations. That's awesome <laughs> on your on your baby. Um, I think as a therapist, you're used to having difficult conversations. And it's something that I never thought would be easy to do, but it is easy to do in a sense because you just have empathy. You say, you know what? I get it. And I often will share my own experiences like, honey, I understand. I don't want to wake up sometimes either. And this does feel really uncertain. And this is scary. And this is challenging. And just be there for them. Just empathize, I guess, is what you do and and normalize. How do you think that we as a community can come together to really, in a more comprehensive way, support not just your efforts, but your self-care, your well-being? You know, how do, I would love to hear a little bit about that. And also, like any words of wisdom you will have to any future essential therapists out there who are about to enter into the journey you have been enduring so far. So uh, I would love to hear about that. I think like, what can the community do? What can others do? And I'm not going to say just for myself, but what I would love to see is a reduction in stigma with mental health. My dad's a medical doctor and he used to always say to his patients, if you're diabetic, would you take your insulin? And they're like, yeah, duh. Well, why won't you take care of the depression? Why so hesitant? Why? Because I think in society, I think as a community, I think culturally, what, whatever it is, we think that when it comes to our behavior, when it comes to our thoughts, that we should be able to control it, that we should be able to handle it. We don't think about that when it comes to our physical health, but we sure do think that when it comes to our mental health. And so I think as a community, just working to end that stigma and to understand that it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to ask for help. And I know I only have my small window, but I feel like at my school, we really push that. We really like, it's okay. You know, we all have our stuff everybody and just ask for help. If your parent or your sibling or your cousin or your friend is struggling, don't tell them to just suck it up and to fix it and to push through. This isn't that challenging. Support them and see, you know, maybe they do need attention and maybe they do need assistance. And it very well could be out of their control. And I think just acknowledging that for therapists all around, it would be great because we fight that every single day. I have that conversation all the time with students and parents and that would be great. That's a big ask, but that would be great. I love that reminder and I really appreciate that you could bring that to light again because I think it's important to lean on the people you love and trust. I mean, and look, sometimes at home, we might not have the understanding or the comprehension we may need. And for that, there is incredible souls like you, uh, Dr. Kavner, who is willing to listen and go the extra mile to make us feel heard, make us feel comprehended and make us feel normal. That there's nothing wrong with us as long as we're doing the work. 
So that's important. So I, I just want to say thank you so much for letting us borrow some of this time and, and for being such an example. And for all those future therapists out there, you know, I, I hope that this conversation is a good reminder of the passion that, you know, and, and ignite the passion you have for this career. Any words, anything else you'd like to add? I think that that's good for any future therapist. I would definitely say just keep going. It's an awesome career. It's so fulfilling and um, it's challenging at times, but it's so worth it. Uh, people are worth it. And, and so just continue the journey and keep being kind to one another. Beautiful. Beautiful. And never forget, as part of your career, take care of yourself. Absolutely. It's important. So I appreciate you so much. Thank you again for your time on this. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I really love what Dr. Kavner was saying about starting from a point of empathy and sharing her own experiences with her mental health with her students. When we take her approach working with her students and apply it to larger systems, this is how we can make real progress. When we get back from the break, we'll talk with California Surgeon General Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris and Latinx Therapy Podcast creator Adriana Alejandre about how they want to shape our mental health infrastructure moving forward. As an actor, a producer, and a proud Latino father, my days can get very busy, which is why I make sure to dedicate time to what's important, like supporting my community through my work, sharing my Colombian and Venezuelan culture, and being present for my family, which is everything to me. Hey everyone, it's Wilmer Valderrama. And when reflecting on what matters most, I start by giving thanks for good support in my life whenever I need to make the big decisions. How about you? If it's insurance you need, State Farm is there to help you choose the right coverage for you. And State Farm offers great support 24-7. Just call an agent. State Farm is also a big supporter of Michael Tuda Podcast Network by helping to share our Latinx voices. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tuda shows wherever you get your podcasts. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn criminal trials for one of those candidates, young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. We're here today with Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris, the Surgeon General of California, and with Adriana Alejandre, the creator of the Latinx Therapy Podcast. Dr. Burke-Harris, Adriana, welcome. Wilmer, take it away. I'm so proud to be here with you both. Dr. Burke-Harris, you're the first person to hold the position of Surgeon General of California. 
first of all, super proud that a person of color can lead those conversations for our state, considering how diverse our state is. And only we know what affects our communities of color. And to have a leader that looks like all of us and sounds like all of us is incredibly important. So I'm very proud to have you on for this conversation. So what was it like to be the first person in that position and to get faced with something as big as the global pandemic? Um. It was hard. I I will not lie about that. You know, it's an it's an interesting situation. I would say becoming the first Surgeon General of the state of California for me has been a complete dream come true. This for real is my dream job. I love caring for people. I love caring for communities. I love helping people be healthier. And then, you know, COVID. And that was really, really intense. I will say I have never worked so hard in my entire life, including during my residency. I mean, it was really, really intense. But it was also beautiful. People showed up and there were people working literally around the clock to save lives. And we saw it among our first responders, among our healthcare workers, among just, and it felt really special. And it's not over yet. So we're still working hard, but it has been, I would say, a defining experience for me. I've certainly learned a lot. And, uh, you know, one of the things that was really important to me is showing up authentically and, you know, as a Black woman and, you know, my Spanish is not that hot, but anytime I could, if I could deliver a message and then deliver the same message as good as I can get it Spanish, then that was, it was muy importante para mí que, que nuestra gente oye directamente de la cirujana general de California que hablamos a nuestra comunidad. So that was, that was you know, what I'd be trying wow. to do a little bit of that. Amazing, amazing. I, I, first of all, incredibly proud of you but also incredibly proud to hear you speak Spanish it just it goes to tell you that there are leaders of our community out there that care enough to speak not just the language but understand the culture too you know and I just really really commend you for that that's unbelievable that's beautiful and thank you for sharing your Spanish and please keep speaking in español (laughs) as much as you as you want at least they know I'm trying even even if it's not perfect they can tell that I'm making an effort so Adriana Could you tell us a little bit about your reaction to Dr. Kavner's story? And then Dr. Burke-Harris, could you do the same? Absolutely. Thank you so much. I think everything that Dr. Kavner mentioned really resonated. I don't work in the school setting, but I work with families. I work with individuals. And I hear a lot of stories through our Instagram platform as well, people that share about what they're going through. And we really did see a big mental health crisis at the start of the pandemic. Just about everything was triggering. And the other side that I saw, because I work with a lot of mental health professionals of color as well, is burnout and a lot of fatigue in general. And being in the helping profession has some burnout, but this just really, we had to stay there, you know, be there for our clients and we wanted to But on the back end, we were also experiencing confusion and our own emotions. So a lot of us did get back into our own therapy. But I think what Dr. Kavner mentioned in terms of becoming an investigator and trying to find her students, as much as I wish we also as therapists could have done that, 
we weren't totally able to with some clients because there's a certain level of boundaries, right, in other settings outside of the school, like private practice settings. So we did have some clients that didn't come back because of fear, that didn't want to do teletherapy because that was new to them too. And so everything felt so uncertain and was so uncertain. And that was valid. And it's scary validating uncertainty for a lot of clients. And there's no manual, right, that therapists were given to learn how to deal with the pandemic and the mental health crisis. But that definitely resonated and it took me back to March 2020 times. So Dr. Burke Harris, what were your thoughts on Dr. Kavner's story? And could you speak a little bit about adverse childhood experiences, which are also known as ACEs? Yeah, I'll jump in and say that as Surgeon General of California, when I was first looking at the data and the information that was coming in about COVID and about the pandemic, that was one of the lowest points for me because I kind of immediately flashed forward to all of the impacts. And one of the biggest was as we were getting ready to do the the shelter in place and recognizing what that would mean in terms of the fact that we had this huge stressor, this huge scary thing, and that the typical resources that we do to overcome things that are stressful and scary, reach out to the people that we love right? Touch base with our family and and connect with our friends and the people that we trust. So much of that was being cut off because of the shelter in place. And just because of the pandemic, it was all about being away from the people that we normally connect with. And, you know, kids not being in school, all of the above. And that was, I remember right at the beginning of the pandemic, Uh, Because my background as a pediatrician is on the effects of stress and trauma and adversity on our health, on children's developing brains and bodies. And a lot of that we learned from the research on adverse childhood experiences, which was this huge study that was done by the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, And what they found was that when we experience stressful or traumatic experiences, especially during childhood, when our brains and bodies are just developing, that it actually can change the way our brains and bodies develop. And it can lead to significantly increased risk of mental health conditions, which we're seeing now with the pandemic of behavioral health conditions, substance dependence, other things, which we're also seeing, but also of health concerns later on down the line, things like asthma and diabetes and heart disease and stroke, because it's all connected, right? The brain and the body are all connected. And what we now understand is that when we experience something really stressful, it releases a ton of stress hormones in our bodies And there are a couple of different ways that our bodies can calm that down. And part of it is through our relationships, connecting with people that we love and trust. Therapy and mental health treatment is another one. Exercise is another one. And then what we saw in the pandemic was all of that stuff got so much harder. And so it's it's not a surprise some of the trends that we've seen with many, many more people struggling with their emotional health and well-being. We'll be right back after this break. 
As an actor, a producer, and a proud Latino father, my days can get very busy, which is why I make sure to dedicate time to what's important, like supporting my community through my work, sharing my Colombian and Venezuelan culture, and being present for my family, which is everything to me. Hey everyone, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and we're reflecting on what matters most. I start by giving thanks for good support in my life whenever I need to make the big decisions. How about you? If it's insurance you need, State Farm is there to help you choose the right coverage for you. And State Farm offers great support 24-7. Just call an agent. State Farm is also a big supporter of Michael Tuda Podcast Network by helping to share our Latinx voices. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tuda shows wherever you get your podcasts. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Welcome back to Essential Voices. Adriana, you specialize in working with adults who have PTSD and trauma. Do you think that you've witnessed the impact of these ACEs on your patients? And I guess more broadly, how have your patients been responding to the pandemic in general? Uh, Yes, absolutely. I definitely witnessed all the implications and impact of the pandemic in relation to the ACEs and I actually integrate a lot of psychoeducation and the ACE study specifically with my clients. I specialize in trauma, uh, as you mentioned, and this information was actually a life changer for many of my clients in the way that they adapted to coping during the pandemic, because many of them felt invisible, right? Like invisible in terms of, oh, you know, I don't have to worry about heart disease. I don't have to worry about depression because... If it's not affecting them in the now, right, if they don't see any implication of it, then it's easier to turn the other way from it. But we really have to reframe the way that we see therapy, especially in my culture. People tend to go to it when they're in a moment of crisis, when it's rock bottom time. But we can really, really help ourselves by using therapy as a preventative strategy, just normalizing it, really. And so I think that when that information has been brought up in therapy and they're able to become more aware of it, it kind of becomes real to them and they're able to recognize it and get more motivated in their own healing journey because there's something that proves, you know, if they come from a lineage of trauma, then there's a high risk of implications and consequences towards their mental health and health in the now and in the future. 
And so that's how I witnessed the impact of ACEs in my clients. And definitely people that had complex PTSD in their history experienced higher levels of depression and suicidality, higher levels of anxiety as well during the entire trajectory of the pandemic. Many of them were able to, at least on my caseload, were able to get to a baseline. But when people come from intergenerational trauma, wellness has to become a lifestyle versus just a one and done type of deal. And so in terms of the question, how have my patients been responding to the pandemic? That's essentially how they've really dedicated themselves to their wellness and their well-being, seeing the connection that, oh, when I took that month off, it did not go too well. And I tend to work also on this basis of, you know, we come in weekly when that's necessary. And then when they reach a goal, we take off a week in the schedule if it's clinically appropriate until they graduate to every other week so that they're able to feel their progress. They can feel the difference. Dr. Burke-Harris, so Dr. Kavner was speaking about the major mental health impact of COVID and remote learning on her students during her conversation. And as an expert on these adverse childhood experiences, could you speak to the long-term effect that the pandemic could have on children and teens? Yeah, I will have to say that I completely agree with everything that Adriana just said. And in fact, this is uh, one of the things that, so I'm a Full disclosure, total science nerd. Like I'm a super, super science geek. And one of the things that the science of adverse childhood experiences and toxic stress shows us is that, first of all, when we've experienced adversity in childhood or in our past, right, even though we may be feeling fine, we may be not noticing anything, it can make us more vulnerable to the impacts of other stressors later on down the line. And so when COVID hits, right, we're thinking about the kids who are experiencing that as an adversity in their day-to-day lives and all the changes and all of the disruption. And then we're also thinking about the adults who are experiencing all this stress, changes, disruption in the context of you know, it's it's across your whole life course. So this is an additional stressor that's kind of stacked up on top of anything that happened in the past. And so for many people, what they found was that it was enough to kind of tip them over. But one of the things that I think, and it, speaking to what you mentioned, Adriana, in terms of there are so many folks who feel like, I'm not going to the doctor until it's something terrible, right? And so one of the things I love to do, I have this red, yellow, green chart or green, yellow, red. And like green is what do I do for self-care to keep myself doing fine, right? So for me, that's exercise, it's meditation, it's good nutrition. And then what does it look like when I'm not doing so hot? Because all of us, all of us have times when we're doing better and when we're doing worse. And that's not something to be afraid of. It's normal. It's life. And so what does not doing so hot look like for me? What does yellow look like for me? Oh, maybe it means that my appetite is out of control, or maybe it means my mood is a little bit lower, or I'm having trouble sleeping. What do I do when I'm feeling that way? Oh, I know. Okay. I know I got to call 
my one girlfriend who always gets exactly how I feel and helps me feel validated. You know, maybe I'm going to exercise a little bit more. As an adult, I'm definitely going to, you know, lay off that glass of wine. You know, it's fine when I'm feeling fine, but when I'm feeling low, it's better that I don't because that's what helps my brain to be able to recover, right? And then, you know, what does red look like? Like, oh my goodness, the wheels have seriously fallen off the cart. I feel terrible. Okay, what does that look like? How do I recognize it? How do I know? Oh my goodness, this is the time when I'm supposed to do the thing. I've got to go call my therapist. I've got to have a conversation with someone who I really love and trust. I've got to consider medications. I've got to whatever it is. And then that's what helps to bring us back on track. That's just something I I love doing. I really love that green, yellow, red system, Dr. Burke-Harris. And I also love that it's analogous to a stoplight because it's an image that almost everyone can relate to as a physical act of either, you know, slowing down if you see a yellow light or speeding up if you're seeing a green light or stopping altogether when there's a red light. But sometimes it's hard to be in touch with yourself to look internally and say, okay, I'm in a red light moment. That means I have to stop and take care of myself. Whereas if you find yourself in a yellow moment, it's almost like a warning of, hey, it's it's time to slow down a little bit. And a green light moment, well, you know, green is gold in this situation. So um, switching gears a bit, Adriana, what would you suggest for folks who are hesitant to try therapy And what would be your approach if, let's say, someone comes to you and is curious about starting therapy, but they're perhaps, you know, reluctant due to stigma? Ultimately, I think therapy is a process and a journey per person as well. And there are people that are very hesitant and afraid. So if you identify with those feelings, I think a lot of reflection and even some self-help can be beneficial. Some research, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of who you envision your therapist to be, uh, how you found them, you know, who you found them from could be beneficial. But I think if you're willing to go to therapy, it's a way to understand yourself more than change anything and lead you into a whole journey and lifestyle of wellness and of healing. Thank you, Adriana. And Dr. Burke-Harris, what would you say to your patients or friends or strangers who are considering therapy? Uh, For myself as a physician, one of the things that I've said often to my patients is to offer them therapy as a resource to help with some of the other things that they may not recognize are an issue. For example, like we know that when the body is making a ton of stress hormones, it can affect, you know, our diabetes, Right. And so I've had patients who are have diabetes that's out of control. And I say, hey, you know what? I want to get a I want to put a finger on how we're managing stress and what you're doing and bring you additional resources there. Right. And so I've thrown it in for all kinds of things. Kids who weren't growing well, kids who were having really severe asthma, all different things to again get back to that mind-body connection, because I think so many people think about it just in terms of, am I crazy? Is it my mental health? And it's like, it's part of our total well-being, right? And so most people recognize, oh, you want to exercise? You know, exercise that part of your mind that supports your well-being and your connection to others and calming down your, your stress response. And that's a big part of it as well. 
So how can we support the mental health professionals who in turn are supporting the folks in this country? Go ahead, Dr. Burke-Harris. Oh, yeah, you guys can tell I'm dying to answer this question, right? Because this is this is my jam, man. This is what I do every day. For me, the big picture and what I am working towards, I have set a bold goal to cut adverse childhood experiences and toxic stress in half in a generation. Of course, I said that and then COVID happened. So I have my work cut out for me. But what I will tell you is that step one is raising awareness and reducing stigma. That's what numberstory.org is all about. It's about raising awareness, offering people resources, reducing stigma. Step two is doing early detection because one of the things that Dr. Kavner talked about was how challenging it is to be trying to reach so many of her kids to try to understand what they're going through and provide them with the right resources. And in California, we launched an initiative called the ACEs Aware Initiative. And this is before you even get to a therapist. This is like your regular doctor. You're going for your checkup, right? We're screening for ACEs. We've trained almost 20,000 healthcare providers to screen for ACEs because what the science shows is that early detection and early intervention improves outcomes. So that makes everybody's job easier. And then on top of that, as I mentioned, the governor is investing $4 billion in comprehensive mental and behavioral health for children and youth. And what that means is a big part of that is providing uh, mental health care where kids are in school, right? And on top of that, with our safe reopening of schools, we have additional resources to make sure that educational professionals, teachers, school therapists, folks like Dr. Kavner actually have resources for self-care, right? Self-care for those who are caring for our young people. And so all of this, this is the Surgeon General thing. Like my whole, my whole thing is to like get all these pieces and figure out how do you put the pieces of the puzzle together? Because that's public health, right? That's how we do it. And um, I'm so excited. I'm so grateful to be able to be of service in this moment of need and to be able to show up my way, right? Authentically and to be able to reach out to our communities. Adriana, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I love that. I love that vision. We need that vision, definitely. And to add, I think when I envision an answer for this, the first step for me is uh, for graduate programs, for the curriculum that teaches therapists to be therapists, uh, such an important part in people's lives is to diversify that curriculum and to also decolonize that curriculum so that there's less harm that goes on because there's validity in people's pain and in people not wanting to go to therapy because of previous harm that was caused in the field. So we recognize that, we honor that, and we want to change that. But that also has to change from a national or even global level of recognition where this curriculum that prepares therapists for it to be more representative and be more open to seeing the clients as people. All right. So then the next step that I would say is normalizing mental health overall, as Dr. Burke Harris has emphasized. And so I'll go into step three is to have mental health care for all 
So normalize it in that sense, in a policy sense. Uh, Systemic change also that recognizes farm workers, immigrants, and essential workers within this infrastructure, within this systemic change, because we know that many times they're excluded out of a lot of the bonuses and the policies. Creating the resources that are needed to support these vulnerable, but very resilient communities that help us to keep going. And ultimately, for communities to be given spaces to heal and begin, that begins with dismantling these oppressive systems that cause harm to communities of color. So uplifting and amplifying professionals of color that are doing the work. And I don't know exactly how that is, but I know we need to unite and advocate for more of that to happen. I just want to point out, Dr. Burke-Harris, your passion and your energy for your agenda ahead gives me so much peace. It brings me so much joy to see someone in a position of leadership embodying the solution, understanding the language. And I mean that metaphorically because there is a way that we have to communicate this. And the fact that you're in the driver's seat, it brings me so much joy. So I'm so, so proud to be here to see the beginning of what I know will be an incredible legacy and excited to do more. And Adriana, you know how proud I've been of you for so many years already. You know, I've seen the evolution of Adriana, you know, and so many aspects of her career. And it's been beautiful to see her become such a leader as well. Um, Emar? I'm floored by this conversation today, and I want to thank both of you, Dr. Burke-Harris and Adriana, for being so present and open with us today. It's been amazing to hear your wisdom, so thank you again. Oh, thank you. It's been our privilege. Thank you so much. Dr. Burke Harris mentioned numberstory.org, where you can go to learn more about adverse childhood experiences and how you or a loved one may have been affected. You can also check out Adriana's podcast called Latinx Therapy wherever you listen to your favorite shows. What I love about both these resources is that they help keep the conversation about our mental health care going. Yes, and the more we keep the conversation about mental health going, the more we challenge the stigma of mental health and work towards a society where mental health resources are available for all. We'll keep learning and growing as we continue to talk to our essential workers next time on Essential Voices. Join us next time to hear us talk to Denise Federick, a domestic worker, followed by our roundtable guest, Christina Mefz-Abgar, the Cultural Change Director at the National Domestic Workers Alliance. Essential Voices with Wilmer Valderrama is produced by me, M.R. Raquel, Allison Shano, and Kevin Rutkowski, with production support from associate producer Lillian Holman. Executive producers Wilmer Valderrama, Adam Reynolds, Leo Clem, and Aaron Hilliard. This episode was edited by Sean Tracy and features original music by Will Rosati. Special thanks to this week's Essential Voice, Dr. Carolyn Kavner, and to our thought leaders, California Surgeon General, Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris, and the founder of the Latinx Therapy Podcast, Adriana Alejandre. Additional thanks to Brandon Piper, Dennis St. Rose, Julie Rooney, Talia Fatante, and Quinlan Fitzgerald. This is a Clamor and WV Entertainment production in partnership with iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. There are a lot of things that matter to me. Family, community, culture, and peace of mind. Hi, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when balancing life, I have to say nothing brings more comfort than having support. And when it comes to ensuring those things that matter to you the most, State Farm offers the support with an agent available in person or on the phone to discuss your coverage options. Support when you need it, however you choose. That's State Farm's way. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs> 